Super Talk Mississippi media production. Well, even though both teams are still playing postseason baseball, and even though it is the beginning of June, we are 12 weeks away from the start of the college football season. That means it's opponent preview time here on Thunder and Lightning, and that means on the Welcome Home Beef Hotline is my friend from the Ole Miss spirit, Ben Garrett, on to talk some Egg Bowl in June. Is it ever too early? Uh, rivalry aside, is it ever too early to talk about this game? Yes, this is too early. <laughs> <laughs> when you're doing the, the whole intro there, I was thinking, right, there's baseball for both programs coming up. They're both in Supers, Omaha, whatever. And there's so much more time between now and when these teams play in November. So is there an early time? Is it's too early of a time? It's now. This is too early. Well, we're, we're going to do it anyway. So okay, just, fine. You'll just have to be, be a part of that. Uh, Ole Miss offensively, we all know what they are. They're going to be really good. Matt Corral, probably, if he's not my, my all-SEC quarterback, he's certainly my second-team guy when we get to media days. In, in Who's a few first? Weeks. JT Daniels could be it. Okay. He's got more talent around him. Those are, those are the only two real options in the SEC this year. You know, I mean, I, I, yeah. There, nobody else just stands out. Certainly, certainly not Bo Nix. Uh, he's probably Never Bo Nix. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, and they had, I saw a weird stat the other day. It said basically... Ole Miss returns 100% of its passing yards, but less than 50% of its receiving yards because Elijah Moore and Kenny Yaboa, and more specifically, mm-hmm. such a big chunk of that. So I'm just going to ask you the question that everybody's going to ask, and that's who replaces Elijah Moore? I don't think there's any one person that replaces Elijah Moore. I think that's impossible. And if you've been watching, um, I don't know if anybody cares about Twitter. I don't. We talked about this before we started recording. We did. Uh, any reports from... New York Jets camp on Twitter or anywhere online, you've seen that Elijah's had an absolutely ridiculous camp and he's been the one of all the Jets, which I don't know if it really says all that much because it's the Jets, but of all the Jets, he's by far and away the biggest storyline of camp and he's been the most impressive. And that's because he is, and it's been kind of quiet because of the sophomore year that was lost to an offense that was archaic. He is one of the greatest receivers to ever come through Ole Miss. And he's without a doubt the best slot receiver. So I don't think there's ever going to be one guy this year that replaces Elijah Moore, but there is a group there that all together could replicate in some way his production, even though they're never going to fully replicate what he did, because what he did was make everybody better, because he was by himself a double coverage nightmare, because you couldn't really double cover him, because that's just, he's too good of a route runner. I've said this before, and, and you know this, like I've always said that A.J. Brown's the best wide receiver ever come through here. And then the Quantrill was in there, but as far as route running, it's Elijah Moore. So he was pretty much a double co- double coverage buster, and there's no guy like that on this roster. So you could see Jonathan Mingo in the slot, you could see JJ Henry, a newcomer in the slot, Jacor Pearson, the transfer from Western Kentucky, he could be in the slot. There are a lot of guys that could play there, and I even saw Ontario Drummond in the slot a little bit this uh, spring. So there are guys that could play that position, but it's never going to be just one guy. And I think what's going to have to happen more with this office this year is it's going to have to be spread out more, which will rely on guys like Braylon Sanders, who doesn't have a track record of being durable, being healthy. He has to stay on the field, because otherwise you can see the passing game be a little bit more sporadic. I think that is a concern. And I think one thing that you brought up that's really important here is Kenny Yaboa. Yeah, he fell off as far as production toward the end of the year, and then he missed the last two games because he opted out. But when he was good, their offense was paired with Elijah Moore at its very best. So having somebody step in at tight end, and we all thought there would be a transfer in there at this point. There hasn't been. So 
So will Casey Kelly be that guy? Will he step in and be able to maybe be a plug-and-play tight end? Because there is an argument that whoever Lane Kiffin plugs and plays a tight end, they are successful in this offense. Or will it be Hudson Wolf? Is he healthy enough? There's a lot of question marks about the replacements for those two particular positions. But unlike a tight end, at wide receiver, they do have numbers, but there's just no obvious guy. Let me play devil's advocate with this question for you, though. Okay. Because prior to 2020, Elijah Moore, he's a good receiver. That's what you would have said about him. He's a good receiver. Nobody could have projected him breaking A.J. Brown's records and becoming what he was. So isn't there? A, should there be a confidence level that, look, Kiffin was able to do this with Elijah Moore. He can do it again with somebody else. There's certainly an argument that can be made there because Lane Kiffin, when he um, looked at the old Miss job, one of the big draws for him, he said, was Elijah Moore. And one of the first calls he made, one of the only early calls he made, was to Elijah Moore and said, you're going to break records. And I think because a lot of people, and this is what I disagree, a lot of people when they actually viewed Elijah Moore on a day-to-day basis, not from a national perspective, but if you were around Ole Miss like we were, and you saw Elijah Moore every single day, you said, oh, my God, he is being wasted. Because he was. His freshman year was really, really good, but he was overshadowed because why? There was Laquan, I mean, Laquan, A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf on the roster. Mm-hmm. And, of course, those guys are going to demand all the attention. Yeah, and DeMar- just on and on. DeMarcus Lodge, yeah, one of the most underrated or maybe undervalued wide receivers to ever come through here, too. And then sophomore year, like I said, you know, to start, it was an archaic offense that was stuck in 2008, seven whatever, Um, and the passing game was just completely abandoned in many ways. I mean, the only routes Elijah Moore got to run was within 5 to 15 yards. He never really got the opportunity to stretch the field, and they had a quarterback, John Rice Plumlee, that even if they tried to, he couldn't get him the ball. So that's why I think um, I would disagree in that way because anybody that was there on a day-to-day basis knew that he was a wide receiver of equal, if not in you know, better talent in certain respects than all the other greats to come through here, specifically in route running, he was just getting wasted. So um, it's not going to be easy for one person, considering how good he was as a route runner, um, to just step in and do what he did. But I do agree, though, that in this offense, there is a lot of um, the plug-and-play component to it, specifically at tight end, and there is an argument to be made at slot receiver. But still, even knowing that, what he did last year was ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. And I think he was averaging, oh, my God. I mean, how many 200-yard games? He was breaking records. He broke A.J. Brown's record. Okay. And then not to mention, I think he was number two in pro football focus, no less than number two yeah. in pretty much every he major He broke A.J. Brown's category. record in yeah. a 10-game season that right. was all SEC opponents. And he opted out. And he opted out. He missed the last game, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, LSU and then misses the Oh, he missed two games, game. yeah. So he played nine. Yeah. So in nine games, he basically had 180 yards per game, if I'm correct. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that just shows you that, I mean, the number, it was absolutely it was video game numbers. Yeah. And uh, that's why no one person will. But there are plenty of guys that all put together could do it because they have numbers of wide receivers. The real concern for me, because you made a good point about how the offense is going to be really good. They're going to put up numbers. They're going to put up yards. Yeah, but it could be a little bit more, you know, stunted in a way because of there are question marks at key positions, tight end being one of them. And then Royce Newman, how good he was and undervalued he was as a fourth-round pick to the Packers as a right tackle. And there's some questions in the offensive line of who's tackle, who's playing center, because I think Ben Brown's going to be moved back out to guard just because that's where the need is. Um, you know, Nick Broker, they would prefer him not be left tackle because they think he's a pro football right tackle, maybe even guard. Um, but he's playing left tackle left because that's where the need is. So there are some question marks 
on that offense. Um, but, yeah, the offense, I don't think, is really overly the concern here. It's, it's always going to come back to the defense because you do believe that in a Lane Kiffin team, the offense is always going to score points and uh, put up yards. We'll get to the defense in just a minute. We'll talk a little bit about Corral. Threw 14 picks a year ago, but he threw 11 of them in two games. That's right. Can he erase that from his from his what he has to offer? Can he stop being that guy that, you know, yeah, there's always this fear that he's going to have a four or five interception game? I think that's just kind of who he is, isn't it? I mean, as long as it's not six. Yeah. I mean, the, the six interception game, that's Five just, is okay, but six is too many. Yeah, I mean, even five, you're like, God, man. You know, just two less. I, I think there's always going to be a game where he just has three or four. But you just can't have the absolute blow-up game. And um, we all kind of, t- you know, forget this, but, like, last year was his first full year starting. Yeah. So... You know, there were going to be games that weren't necessarily clunkers, but at least he was going to have ugly games. And those were his ugly games. And even in his ugly games, he still put Ole Miss in a position to win. Even if he put Ole Miss in a position to lose to begin with, he was coming back to put Ole Miss in a position to win um, by being able to stretch the field unlike any other quarterback on the roster. And not, not since Chad Kelly has almost had a deep ball throw like this. I don't think outside of Eli and Chad and Matt there's ever been deep, a, a deep ball thrower as good as Matt Crowell. So um, I think he can eliminate it uh, just because it's his – I mean, every single year he's been in college, he's had a new uh, offensive coordinator. Yeah. So to be able to have the same offensive coordinator um, for two straight years going into his draft-eligible year in a quarterback uh, class for the NFL draft next year that isn't particularly strong, um, I think not only could he absolutely – be motivated to eliminate those things just purely based on what he's trying to do personally. But, but for a team perspective, um, I, I think he's going to benefit from the consistency of having the same head coach, the same quarterback coach, the same offensive coordinator, the same everything except for the offensive line coach, but that, that has no impact on him. But having everything around him be consistently the same, and that should, you would think in theory, eliminate some of those turnovers or just those two blow-up games because you're, you're right, he was remarkably consistent in all but two games, um, but can you limit those things? I think, I think that's pretty easy to do. If your bullets are only like three interceptions, yeah. and I think it's easier to ask, hey, okay, yeah, you're going to throw three interceptions. Don't not be you. You're a big part of what makes you who you are is your willingness to make that you know, take risk and push the ball down the field. Do those things, but just don't throw into double, triple coverage just because you get a little hurried up. It's okay to survive for second down. Okay, I take a sack for two, three-yard loss. At least I'm surviving for another down, and it's okay to punt. I think Matt Crowell sometimes in those games where he blew up, he got a little carried away because he just doesn't ever want to punt. Sometimes it's okay to punt. Yeah. It's okay. It happens. Football teams punt. You don't always oh, find success on every good uh, drive. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely tell you that it happens. I've yeah. seen it happen. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know if you saw recently the Athletic did a state of the program on Ole Miss, and, and they had a, oh. an SEC coach – Anonymous off the record or whatever. And he oh, said, he's talking about Corral. And he said, ah, yeah, he's good. He can run a little bit. Not the best deep ball. And I, Where does this come from? What are these? We where, figured where, it out. What do they want? Michael Borky and I figured it out. He's talking about Plumlee. Yeah, that's exactly right. So that leads to my next question and my last question about the offense. What is John Rice Plumlee's role this year? There's two answers to that. One, if I, I'm not positive. That he'll be here. I still don't think that decision has been made. Mm-hmm. As, even if he's still with baseball, it's, it's becoming late. But as we've seen, 
kids are still enter, entering the transfer portal right now. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter that it's June. I think kids will be entering the portal in July. I don't think rosters will be settled until August. So as much as he's playing for Ole Miss baseball, and it's not you know a starter role or anything like that, but he's playing significant time for Ole Miss baseball. Um, I, I still don't think the football decision has been made, so that that will have to be settled. There will have to be a true resolution to that before we can really know for sure. But assuming that he's on the roster, I think, first of all, if, God forbid, anything were to happen to Matt Corral, John Rice Plumley in a pinch, going in at quarterback, because at least you know exactly what he's going to do. And he's at least performed at the highest level. No, he can't pass, but he performed at the highest level. And they would have at least a truncated um, offense or system, whatever, for John Rice Plumley in a pinch. And then in a the long-term view, they would prepare one of Kincaid or Luke Altmyer to replace Matt Crowell. But outside of being the emergency number two quarterback, I think what you saw him do in the Outback Bowl is a good example of what he would do or, or what kind of role he would play in a full year if he embraced it. But he hasn't ever truly embraced it. I mean, really, uh, he just wanted to get on the field of the Outback Bowl because that's not just a role that they said, hey, present it to them, you can do this um, that week. I mean, this is something they talked to him about, but he was completely dismissive of it. I think the full belief throughout the year was that John Rice at the end of the year or after baseball, whatever, was going to transfer out because he was committed to being a quarterback. And that still could happen. But if he does stay, it won't just be as a slot receiver. And I think that's what Ole Miss fans and a lot of people, oh, we just put him as slot receiver. Well, there's got to be a willingness on the part of the kid. And also I think Ole Miss views him, and I'm not saying he's this player in any way, but they view him kind of like Percy Harvard in, in terms of playing him everywhere. You remember how Percy lined up in the backfield yeah. and then split out wide slot. Wherever you wanted to put him, he was just a Swiss Army knife weapon that they could use. Same thing with John Rice Plumley. And um, I think they would line him up in the backfield. They did that with him a little bit, and even the lead-up to the outback bowl. But then the outback bowl, he really showed what he could be just as a true offensive weapon. And, yes, the route running isn't particularly clean, but, I mean, on that last drive, it was John Rice who made the two biggest plays that set them up to win. So, yeah, I think that's what you would see from him. He'd be a lot of uh, slot receiver, maybe even um, lining up as a running back at times, uh, a gimmicky quarterback stuff that I absolutely hate. But that's what still coaches do, and far be for me to say Lane Kiffin shouldn't do those things because he's forgotten more football than I'll ever know. But point being, that's what he would do. He would do a uh, poor man's version of Percy Harvin. And then we go to the defense, and, and okay. we, we we know what it was. It's been, it's not even what it was last year. It's what it's been basically the past five seasons. It's been bad. Mm-hmm. You know, cool. there, there's no sugarcoating that around it. You know, mm-hmm. a couple of JUCO guys coming in try to shore up the defensive line. You bring back some guys at some key positions. You lose a guy like Jock West Jones, who may or may not have, have been still been a starter. I, I know there was shocker. It was a shocker though. It was a shocker in that building. Really? Okay, yeah. I didn't know that. Go, go expound on that then. Why did he leave? Uh. The short answer is nobody really knows for sure. Okay. Um, the long answer would be, let's be honest here, uh, tampering happens with all these schools. Well, yeah. well, I don't want to get I don't want to get into this too deep, you know, because this could go in a really I'm sure place. you don't, Ben Garrett, of the old spirit. I don't want to go into this too deep. Let's just say it could go off in many directions here. <laughs> but if he ends up in Kentucky, there's a reason he ends up in Kentucky. John Summerall's in Kentucky, okay? Right. And um, you're right. I mean, there's been bodies added to the room at linebacker to where there was no guarantee that Jock was going to be a starter, even though he and was there, the There shouldn't be anybody player. guaranteed to start off no. the defense. They were terrible. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. I mean, the only thing they did well was create turnovers enough that uh, they were able to, like, 
in the Egg Bowl with Tyler Knight caused the fumble at the goal, goal line. It was scooped up by Deion uh, Lane. Play of the game. Yeah, it was a play of the game. So it, it's what won them the game. So creating enough turnovers saved them from being a complete and utter disaster. In every other respect, in every other measurable respect, they were that they were that bad. They were really bad. So, um, yeah, Jacquez Jones adding bodies to that room, being the leading tackler on the worst defense in the SEC. I mean, what, what does that mean? But on paper, it's bad. Uh, because he, he could help you in some way. And I'm not going to in any way diminish uh, the loss of Jacquez Jones. They did not want to lose him because, I mean, he was a productive linebacker in the SEC. That's just not something that you, it's, it's easy to lose. So uh, Jacquez Jones is a loss. But I think one thing that they're excited about is what they've added on the back end and the secondary. They do have numbers in the secondary now. And um, the Freshman class has been really impressive. Tyshin Johnson is a guy that I think is going to contribute immediately. Uh, Markevious Brown is a guy that I think is going to contribute immediately. Both of them were already running with the second team in the spring. They just have playmaking ability. But really what it comes down to, you can add all this new, newness to it. Uh, the returning guys that stepped into big roles last year being better, like an A.J. Finley has to be better, right? I mean, I think uh, uh, the two Jukos you mentioned, they're going to contribute heavily, but where is Sam Williams in this? Where is T. Tisdell in this. Like, those guys were supposed to have taken a step last year. Now, Sam Williams, for all the off the field bad stuff, that is really what I think derailed him from having the breakup that he was supposed to have last year because a lot of people thought he was the best draft eligible guy they had last year on the roster, and then he didn't play that way. But they don't have a true dominant edge. So, Sam Williams, you have to be that dominant edge guy. Yeah, we can talk about Isaiah Ike and Jamon Gordon, but if those guys are doing their jobs well, and it takes Juco's. A couple of games at least, sometimes half, oh, a, yeah. half a season to really become what they end up being. So, like, look, man, you can't rely on those guys. It has to be Sam Williams that has to really, you know, step in and be that edge. Or Tisdale, look, you've got to step in and be the, you know, that three tech. Wherever they put you, you have to be that guy that can really command attention that allows the new guys around them. But I'm intrigued by guys like Mark Robinson. He's a, he's a, uh, a transfer that last year didn't play a lot, but really was a starting linebacker this spring. And Otis Reese, the full year of him will be important, I think. I think he'll play kind of a hybrid uh, linebacker safety role. They actually have Jake Springer, the Navy transfer, eligible this year. So all of those guys will be important. And then Tavius Robinson, he's got a full year under his belt, and he was really good. I think he got the defensive MVP of the spring. He was really dominant as a defensive lineman. So that's where the improvement comes from. And then can you continue to be that turnover-creating defense with the improvement around you. Because it's not like they have to go from 130 to 50 to be a really improved defense for an offense that's going to score a lot of points. Yeah. Can you go from 130 to 80? That's a re- that's a significant jump. That's mm-hmm. a big jump. That's probably two and more can, wins. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. So if that's two more wins and you thought that, okay, in a 10-game all-SEC schedule, uh, let's play that out with a non-con. They're probably winning eight games last year. Well, two more wins is dead. And I'm not saying they're going to win 10 games this year because the schedule's really hard, but I'm saying that if that defense goes from 130 to just 80-something, then they do have a chance to win 8 to 10 games. Um, but, again, that's, say, that's asking a lot of a defense that wasn't outside of one particular area very good at all. So, Let's look at, the, at this game, the one that will be played this year. You, know, you look back to last year, we all know that State – Came to Oxford with a with a pretty decimated roster with COVID and everything else. I think they played right. 43, 44 guys in that game. I thought State was going to struggle a lot in that game. And you know, when they went down fourteen nothing, I was just I didn't. Like, 
well, I mean, you and I are sort of cut from the same same cloth. It's just a different yeah. color. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But when they when they you know went down fourteen nothing, I thought, okay, well, I mean, this is going to be really <laughs> ugly. And then at, at the end, State's driving to tie the game and just you know sort of runs out of time and yardage there. This year, you know, I think everybody would say I expect Mike Leach's offense to be better in year two. State was much better defensively a year ago than we thought they were going to be, and they bring back a lot of guys. And now the game is in Starkville. You know, just a, obviously it's June, but right now, how do you sort of see the, the, this game? You know, I don't know. When you actually texted me and said, hey, I'm doing the thing that I've been doing for so many years, the 12 weeks, the start from and the And that you should be end. ready for at this point in your life because I always call you. And I always forget it. Yeah. I don't know anything about State. I really don't. I, I don't. And, and you know, you, you could tell me whatever, and I would completely buy it because you're there. I'm not. I have, I have no clue. Um, I just always default. When I don't know much about State or I just, you know, am just completely caught up in all the Ole Miss stuff, um, I just default to what I always say. I don't really care what the teams are outside of the really disastrous teams of Ole Miss since 2016. Um if either if, if either of both teams, I mean, if both teams are competitive, if both teams are competent, the game is going to be competitive. So I always default to who's at home. Who's at home? And where is it played this year, Brian? In Starkville. Okay. So if it's played in Starkville, it's going to be a 10-point game one way or the other. And assuming that Mississippi State has improved, if you're making me predict it in June, I'm going to say Ole Miss is going to lose in Starkville. That's what I'm just going to do because that's just how I always default to it. Now, on paper, Ole Miss is better, but this is just what I've gotten to at this point in my life, right? Yeah. <laughs> to where, all right, if you're making me predict it in June, and okay, then it's a play to start. All right, cool. Well, this is always a 10-point game, so I'm going to pick Mississippi State. But, you know, every piece of evidence that if you're looking at it on paper, you say, okay, Ole Miss is probably the better team this year, and in a normal game, Ole Miss should be favored would probably win that game. Mm-hmm. But that, this is never a normal game. Yeah. Nothing about this, these two schools is normal. And it's something that you and I talk about all the time. I mean, nothing's normal about this. And it's miserable at many times. But it is what it is. So, I mean, that's kind of where I am with it. I don't know much of anything about State. Like, for example, I don't know who starts at quarterback. Uh, who's their quarterback? I think it's going to be Will Rogers, but we'll see. Okay. I, I, like, who's their best offensive player? Jaden Wally. Okay, uh, Jay, that makes sense. Um, but, like, I looked at the teams last year, and I thought Kylan Hill was probably going to end up being in the conversation for SEC Player of the Year, and yeah. then he just doesn't end up finishing the year, yeah. you know? Yeah. So um, I think there's just so many things that could be at play for this team. Like, I mean, Matt Corral has to stay healthy for Ole Miss. He has to. Yeah. And we could talk about the upside of Luke Altmaier. Or Kincaid did, could absolutely be fine just stepping in and, and being serviceable. John Rice pummeling. This whole deal is built around Matt Corral. If anything happens to Matt Corral, all bets are off um, because he's just that valuable to this program and for this offense and for this team. I mean, he's everything. He's the entire program. And um, that sounds precarious because no one player should matter that much, but he's the quarterback for Christ's sake, so it's going to matter that much. Um, but even more than that, I mean, this whole team is built around Lane Kiffin and his offense and his quarterback. And defensively, if you're relying on Ole Miss to make a jump from 130 to 50, then you're fooling yourself. So 130 to 80, if that's the measuring stick, well, an 80 defense with a team led by Kincaid Dinner, Luke Altmaier, is still not going to be a very good team. You're going to be struggling to be bowl eligible. So it's all about Matt Corral 
And um, as long as Matt Crowell's healthy, then I think Ole Miss is better than Mississippi State. But if he's not, going to Starville is never an easy thing. It never is. So trying to go into Starville and win the Egg Bowl in that whole environment with a place that just hates everything that is Ole Miss, um, it's a tough ask. So when I look down the schedule, I mean, that's one of the few questions I have about the schedule. Yeah, you, um, but you, even should, never, you should never say the Egg Bowl is, it is a matter what? Yeah. Never more than a toss-up. It never doesn't more. matter. And, and then I look at, like, in November, I mean, my God, Hugh Freeze is coming back to Ole Miss in November. You know? Like, who's decided when they looked at this? This is, this is good for Ole Miss to do. Yeah, this is well, a that, smart that, thing that game do. wasn't scheduled when Freeze was at, at Liberty. I know. He was once, probably at Ole Miss. He went, but once he went, get rid of it. <laughs> Freeze no, probably told his athletic director, I don't care if they offer you 50. It's Liberty. They got plenty of money. <laughs> uh, but it's just so stupid. In the middle of November, as you're going into bowl season, you're playing out this really tough SEC schedule. you got your in-state rival that you got to travel to at the end of the year. Yeah, let's stick the embattled former head coach and attention whore that will just never stop wanting to talk about Ole Miss. Let's stick him right there. With a good know? team. Uh, with a good team that can beat you. What's the upside for Ole Miss in that game? Well, there's Nothing. none now. The, yeah. Six years there's ago, none. whenever it was scheduled, maybe there was some. You know, it was, oh, that's an easy win. Now it's not so much. There's it's no upside to it, so just keeping on the schedule is ridiculous. I'm getting off track here. Point being, if you ask me today, I mean, of course, I'm going to default to what you and I, every time we do one of these things, you and I say the exact same thing every single year. Well, I have, my, 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 my scenario is always the same thing. This is how I pick almost every game I pick. Who has the better coach? Who yep. has the better quarterback? Where's the game being played? So who has the better coach? Probably a push, right? Leach and Kiffin, yeah. they're both good coaches. I mean, either both sides are going to say, oh, no, it's playing. Yeah, exactly. oh, no. But if we're going to be so honest, they're both really good college football coaches. Yeah, I have no clue. I, I, I really I don't pretend to be some expert, so I can't tell you who's the better coach. I don't right. know. They both, they both, yeah. Who has yeah. a better quarterback? Ole Miss has a better quarterback. Ole Miss. Correct. Yeah. Where's the game being played? It's in Starkville. Start. So it's it's a toss-up, and it's just, exactly. you know, who do you think is going to win? So, yeah, it makes sense. I would, I would pick Ole Miss as the better team right now and mm-hmm. say, well, they should be, win that game, all things equal. Mm-hmm. But the Egg Bowl is never all things equal. Yeah. No, and right. it's in Starkville. So, yeah. I mean, knowing this rivalry and been around, having been around it for my 35 years of existence, yeah, probably some dumb as shit will happen in the state of Wyoming. I look forward to talking to you next June and you picking Ole Miss because the game is up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, after state, you know, it's something. Yeah, it's yeah I'll pick Ole Miss again because this is what we do. All right. Ben Garrett, the Ole Miss spirit. We do it every year, man. 12 weeks to get to uh, till kickoff. Get ready for it. Every single year. Every year. And it's always too early. Never too early. Thanks, buddy. Bye, buddy. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.